up, guys? We're doing a little improv uh, podcast. We were actually just sitting around at dinner and eating some chile that Big Woj just cooked, Big Sarge. And, uh, <laughs> real quick, in attendance, we've got uh, Mr. David Baker from Just Fucking Send the Podcast, one of our favorite guests that we have. Oh, sure. uh, oh. Mr. Kalen Woj himself, uh, co-founder of Modern Day Sniper, our really good friend, Owen Mulder. You guys know him from our Are You Really Trained Observer podcast. And if you do not, you need to check that podcast out. And then you've got me, the Asian himself, Philip Blue. The Asian Persuasion. The Asian Persuasion. So we are just, again, <laughs> eating chili. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are our podcast about relevant information about long-range shooting and all that jazz. And let's just going to go ahead and roll into what we were just talking about, about heads and tails. And statistical mathematics, which will bleed into oh, shit. deeper shit, like internalistics and... Well, we got talking, what, what got us to this point, we were talking load development and stuff like that. We're talking about barrel whip and, and harmonics, and then it got into statistics, and then Sir Owen here brought up the uh, <laughs> the 50-50 stat on a coin flip. And I, I want to hear this. I want to hear this. So, so okay. first of all, uh, I, I, I was uh, just jumping in and in the middle of a conversation. Uh, my point was completely off topic from your guys' point, but it probably relates in some way. My point was more, I'd been thinking about how people use chronographs to get their muzzle velocities that they then put into their ballistic computers and this sort of business, right? Uh, which, which the same principles will probably apply to, uh, to re reloading, right? Because it comes back to this aspect of statistics, right? So you're saying, I shoot five rounds through a chronograph, I take the average, and that, that's the muzzle velocity I then put it in my computer. We had a comment earlier about who, who, who is it that says they want, they, they, you, need, you need larger sample sets. Jane, Jane Quinley from Hornady. Yes, Jane Quinley from Hornady was like, dude, you're getting muzzle velocity, you need larger sample sets. And I appreciate what, uh, what, what he's saying. So here's the thing. Uh, when it comes to statistics, there, there's a way to predict, so for example, a, a coin. It's got heads, tails, there's two possible outcomes. It's completely random, which means when I flip a coin, I've got a 50% chance of heads and 50% chance of tails. Well, I challenge anybody to flip a coin 100 times and think that it's going to get 50 heads and 50 tails in that 100 flips. It's not going to happen. When you said that, that's when, yeah, which, to which my reply was, do I call heads every time? <laughs> which one? If, well, all right, look, if you did it, I mean, I'll, yeah. we can do it. I'll flip it 100 times. I just want to know because I've never thought about doing it. To, to gain the system of coin toss, if if it's not 50-50, well, is it 60-40? Well, what's well, the no, 60? Head, it, is, it is 50-50. But you've got to flip that coin like 10 million times, right? So as you flip coins, you'll get a variety of heads and tails. All four of us could start flipping coins, and we will, we will have different results. Right. Okay. As far as ratios. But as we stay up... 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 10 years, flipping <laughs> coins, the trend between all of our data will always trend towards it being 50-50, and at some point it will get 
pretty much 50-50. I mean, we'll be splitting, you know, hairs, you know, over the over decimal points. But you have to you have to have a ginormous sample set to arrive at what we what we knew is the conclusion. I mean, you knew from the beginning the probability is 50-50. ahead or the probability has always been 50-50. <clears throat> no matter how many times you flip that coin, every time you flip it, it's a 50% chance head, 50% chance tails. Right. But you won't see it in the data necessarily until you get to very large numbers. So then we bring that back to muzzle velocity. Right? Yeah. Uh, and everybody wants to know their average muzzle velocity. Here's the thing. S shooting precision rifles is not a game of knowing the overall average of a velocity. Every bullet you're shooting, you want it to hit where you're aiming. Right? Exactly. You are You have an intention for every single bullet. You don't care when you're at a PRS match or you're a sniper in combat. I don't care what the average 308 bullet does over 10 million samples. I need to know what this damn bullet's going to do this time. This specific bullet. Right. But you can't know that well unless you reload and you get it down to like less than one foot per second spread. Right? You can't know that. So then what becomes important is the the maximum min. Right? Because every bullet I shoot, it could be a max, it could be a min. And how much difference does that cause in the strike of my round? If I pick one bullet out of the box and it shoots a max, am I going to miss? Because I'm using my right. theoretical average, right? I'm trying, I'm hopefully trying to find something in the middle somewhere. But if I pull a min or a max out of that box and shoot it, what's, what's going to happen? Am I missing the target or not? Whether it's a competition or a bad guy in combat, whatever. That was my point. 20 feet per second on most projectiles at 1,000 yards is two tenths. Oh yeah. Okay. So if you if you have, I mean, how many how many tenths tall is an ipsic at a thousand? A full size. You should I think it's like, like eight tenths. I would say eight tenths maybe. Uh, so forty right? inches tall. The, well, a full size ipsic forty. A full size ipsic. Uh, no, it's gonna be like thirty six or something like that. Well, yeah, well nineteen and a half by forty inches is a full size ipsic in the Marine Corps. Right. Yeah, that's like, an echo. But there's but there's that's an echo, but. In actual sure. Ipsy size, I couldn't tell you. Like actual, right. so actual size. on the Google machine. Ipsy size. Yeah, come I, on, I, Google. You should do some magic this. for me. I probably have it. I do. Have you know, that just goes magic. to show, like, nobody gives a fuck about that. But right. Okay. So if all right, you got a twenty foot per second spread, you're two tenths. Well, technically, you're holding. If it's eight tenths tall, you're holding. You got four tenths. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. each way. Uh, you're. I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, you know, but I would say, based off of my experience, I have found with shooting factory ammo, hand reloads, I have found more discrepancies in lighting conditions in terms of dope than my standard deviation. Or, no. vari or variation in BC. I don't know that I've ever been fucked in a match by my extreme spread. I have definitely been fucked by lightning. But, but do, you, do you know that? Do you know that one shot that you just, like, I don't know, maybe it was me, maybe it was whatever you attributed to someone? Well, I had a bunch of them motherfuckers today. <laughs> and I know without a doubt it, was, yeah, one specific it was not a BC. It was, yeah, uh, there's none of that. None of, the targets we, none of the targets we shot today would have had any influence whatsoever unless it was massive and drastic. 
from any type of errors in ballistic computation. But he brings up a good point. Dave brings up a good point because I've, I've seen the math. I know he's very confident of doing the math that we do in terms of, all right, the max velocity that I have for my projectiles. Yes. The minimum is this. Yep. For the 20 foot spread, I'm missing, if anything, two tenths from center, high or low, yep. from my average. Is that is that what you're about to say? Essentially. And most most targets that we can see can eat that up. at a PRS NRL style match. Yeah. You may get one as a one in the way plate, yeah, yeah. a ten inch yeah. plate at a foul is like a, a, a novelty plate mm -hmm. that they put out there for maybe like, oh, this is your last shot, but you only shoot at it once. Or, you know what I'm saying? But majority of the time, I mean all the ones I've shot at that distance are either full size M6 or they're actually silhouettes. You know, head and shoulders with the about come past here, the silhouettes were in there. I wanted sure. to say knees and right. toes after you said Yeah, that. don't don't you? I, I thought it was him. So, um, <laughs> oh, by the way, full size zip stick, 30 inches tall. 18, okay. 18 and a quarter inches wide. Yeah, that's uh, right. So three and a way tall. Yeah, it's three and a way tall. That's it. Right. And so, but back to getting most velocity averages, I would dare say if you had, whether you did it all on the same day or you did it maybe different days, unless it was a drastic temperature swing. If you took a five-shot uh, group, charted what, you got, what your min, your max is, and then you have your average. Let's say that average today, the first one was uh, 29.50. And then you either did it later or you did it the next day. You take another five rounds, same shit, shoot it. It may be, it will probably be a different number than 29.50. Third day, whatever you do it, it will might be another different number than the first two. But if you entered in either one of those three numbers, your dope won't change. Like it won't be different enough to make a difference. So at what distance? I'm, I'm talking about at, at distance. Like at, at long long long. Well, we're talking about ELR shit, one thing, but. And, and we say a thousand yards because right now, I think that is the gold standard in which a lot of precision rifle competitions are trying to adhere to. That's their long range That's stage. the most common that you see ranges trying to push out to because that's, sure, a, that's right. a number that- the Triple digit. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a number that a lot, of, a lot of just people are like, oh, I'd, I'd love to shoot a thousand yards. I would say with modern cartridging capability, cartridges like six millimeters, six five Creedmoors are definitely capable of pushing out to 12, 13, 14 effectively, but right now I think the gold standard is a thousand yards. Yeah, it is. And like I said, it's the quad digits. There's four digits, like, oh, you hit something, you know, for people that are just getting into it, that's like the, the ultimate. The, the ultimate. That's the bucket list shit. And then they actually do it and like, well, fuck, that was a little bit anticlimactic. It was kind of easy. Um, but yeah, obviously when you're going out, the places because the sport of ELR is growing so much. I mean, it's there's like starting to be like ELR ranges now. Like people are starting to make build properties to do that, and that's becoming its own new sport thing. And um, I think a lot more obviously comes in play at those distances than you know that the ranges at which we're that, what we're the game yeah. in which we're playing. Agreed. I really enjoyed uh, what Owen had talked about. And I'll have Owen actually talk about this about what your goal is when you connect behind a rifle. Like at the end of the day, what you're aspiring to be in terms of being able to culminate. Oh yeah, as we were talking about earlier. So uh, I have this particular thing about me, and apparently Phil feels the same way. Which is, and it's really I think back to the sniper days, the whole one shot, one kill. 
striving for that. Constantly. Yeah, like that. Like the in my mind, and, and everyone has their own goals, right? But I spent many, many, many years where the gold standard was all about the first round you shoot. Cold War. It's, it's, it's the first shot you shoot. And uh, so in combat, the assumption is that I'm going to end up in a right. foreign country yeah. that I've never been. In a selected a, target. In a, on a specific location in that country that I've never seen before. I've definitely never shot there before. I don't know the wind trends there. You know any of that? I'm in an, I'm in a completely foreign place that I've never seen before, and it's my first shot out of this gun, and that's the only shot that matters. There is no second shots. There's no follow-ups. Yep. There's no that's second a mindset, target. dude. That's a mindset. Pack it up, boys. It's, you get yeah. one. Yeah. You get one. If you're lucky, they'll maybe you get a second follow-up if they you know don't get pine cover fast enough or whatever. But at the end of the day. Um, it's got to come down to your first shot, and you got to assume it's going to be in a completely new place that you've never been before, under conditions you've never seen before. Yeah. And it comes down to how well can I estimate, because really wind is the, the big thing. Uh, can I get to this place, read the terrain, look at the mirage, look at any indicators that are given to me in that environment, and get a wind call that's good enough that I can hit on the very first round? And then, because personally to me, anytime I go out shooting long range stuff, my, my heart starts working for that first shot. Once it's I've got so, that first shot. You're anxious, man. You're anxious. Yeah. You're anxious because that's like well, in your mind, that's what matters. And it's, that's what's right testing now. That's, that's what tested me. Exactly. SMS. Once I shoot that first round, if I miss, and I have to make a correction, and I start using my last shot as my correction, I'll do it. I mean, I mean it's pretty common sense. You just shot, the bullet told you the truth. Mm -hmm. The you faster you can see that truth, correct for it, and get another one down there, the higher your chances of hitting in the second round. Absolutely agree. But I'm like, what the hell happened on that first one? Sorry. Why did I need a second one? Well, you know, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? What did I screw up? How can I improve? It comes like, and there's something in my personal brain that after I've missed that first shot, my sort of passion and, and, and engagement goes, drops. Nothing else matters. You're just shooting at that point. Yeah, at that point, I feel like I'm playing a game. You're just, you've got yeah. the win. Essentially, you've got the win figured out. Yeah. And in terms of like shooting that, I would say string or relay or whatever. You're like, you're like, all right, if I shoot within the next three to five minutes, the wind is no longer an unknown. Right. Right. And there's just, there's just, I might hit the second round. And by the way, if I have multiple targets. Yeah. So I might, I might hit the second round on that target. And then I might have other targets right after that. Three or four more targets I've got to shoot. And I might hit all those on the first round. But there's, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with those hits. Uh, because I missed the first one. I missed the very first one. And even like another stage or whatever else happens after that, more tar is it's okay. Well, now I kind of know what the wind's doing because I had that first bullet told me the truth. I listened to it, uh, but it's always it's always that challenge of that first shot. So you can go shoot a match and like sign up for a match. First days of the day, cold boy, you shoot, hit your target. You like 
Fuck it, I'm out. He just dips that right there. Like Owen Mulder, one out of <laughs> one impact. One impact out of 190. Did y'all see that guy that just showed up? He took his first shot, shot and dropped his shit and walked in. Just this bitch. No, I had a guy in class. I had an older gentleman in class. He came out and he said, we were asking, you know, doing the intros, like, what you want to get out of the course? And he, he, He's like, yeah, I'm so-and-so from wherever. And he goes, all I'm here to do is hit a target at 1,000 yards. Oh, yeah, well. That's, and he goes, when that happens, I'm going to pack my shit and go home. And, you know, I started laughing. Everybody was laughing. And I was like, I'm, like, I'm like, well, you're going to do that tomorrow morning. I guarantee you by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, you will have accomplished the goal. goal. And you're still going to have, you know, two and three-quarter days left to train. And he's like, I don't give a fuck, I'm going home. <laughs> and so no shit, we yeah, get him class. Dude, he shoots and he fucking stands up and one of it, like the other student that was observing for him was just like, oh man, he's giving him high fives and shit. Drop the mic. He literally wanted to pack his shit and go home. And I was like, whoa, I thought you were joking. Like for real, like no, you you don't have to go home because there's gonna be a lot more cool shit you can do that a lot more times. <laughs> yeah, you think like, that's so cool. Wait. And he was like, oh, I don't know. Wait. Like, we literally went back and forth for like 10 minutes on whether or not he should stay. Did he stay? He stayed. He stayed. But it was pretty funny. He was totally okay with leaving right there. Done. I'm out. That's dope. I, it, dude, that would be legit if you did that. That would be the most fucking G shit. So here's the thing for me personally. So for me personally, that's a bit, it's a statement. Uh, I picked up, I think I, was, I don't remember exactly, probably like 13, 14 years old. I got the book 93 Confirmed Kills after reading about it in Soldier Fortune, right? And I read about Carl Hathcock shooting a dude at a mile away. Oh, yeah, the famous 50 cal shot. Famous 50 cal shot. No, I'm, I'm 13, 14, right? So I don't know a whole. I don't know nothing about sniping. I don't know nothing about the Marine Corps. I don't know anything really about long range shooting. But I read that, and that sounded to me no different than when I hear about Superman leaping over a tall building with a single bound, or you know, a superhero from Marvel or something, Batman. Like it, it was the same thing. So this is supposed to be a real person. Like this is supposed to have actually happened. It blew me away. That's that was the hook. That literally, that story is why I joined the Marine Corps. It defined my entire life. Is this? He shot a dude in a mile. You can shoot a match with me. I'll pay your entry fee if you promise me you first shot, you fucking hit, you block the fuck off. Like that would be a video. But if you miss, you got to shoot the whole thing. Don't stage today's a prairie dog at 350. So First of all, what's this first shot? Is it like some 300 meatball? Uh, who knows? Yeah. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. No, no, that's the thing. You don't know. You just talk about like, dude, place. You don't know. Any condition, any distance. Once one one match in Idaho, our first stage was uh, the fucking long bomb stage. Cold, fucking first goddamn round of like 900 to 920 yards of fucking 18 inch round. If, if that was the case. And I hit it first round, I would. <laughs> I can make that happen. Well, but, see, oh, what shit. you can do is I'll take you to Paul's, and I can tell Paul, Paul, what squad is starting at either of the long range stages. 
He'll say, I don't know, probably like squat 10. Okay. Put Molder. You're putting my buddy Owen in squat <laughs> 10. He's a first shooter. And uh, he's going to bypass the the six eight hundred and or the four six eight. He just will go straight to the thousand. <laughs> he's going to get his hit, and he's fucking off. No, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay the entry fee now. So if you pay my entry fee, here's what I will do. Every stage, I will just jump down whatever they brief as the targets. I don't care. I'm going to find the farthest target. And I will just shoot at the farthest target and then then stop. Yeah, uh, okay. Every stage. I will do it. No, no, but if you miss, I think you have to shoot the course fire. Yeah, you the whole yeah, yeah, you yeah. Every course fire starts with a shot. You got to go back. You got to go back. That's yeah. one. You got one miss right there, whether you hit it or not. That's one miss. That's two. Yeah. So you can do whatever starting you want. You're starting at shot two, which whatever target yeah. that may be. Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can just be but, like, but, hey, hey, man, man, I didn't it, know. Like, I thought that that's what you wanted me to do. But if you connect, like, you can just stop right there. You're done. Yeah, yeah. If I hit that far target, the farthest target I can see, if I hit it on the first shot, I stop shooting the rest of that close fire. Yeah. And I just leave. I just roll up. I mean, leave the next stage. I, I, I'm. I'll pay it. I mean, if you do that, you promised me to do that. I'm a video. Every well, y'all are neighbors now. You figured it out. Yeah, that we're neighbors. basically neighbors. Really? Are you guys? Are you guys live by the picture? I'm an hour and a half from Lejeune. He's not yeah, far from Lejeune. We're within an hour and a half of each other. Yes. Yeah. So that that sounds like a plan. I want. Well, so wait. Well, how did I know we, we kind of jumped in the middle of this conversation with some podcast? But how did how did this conversation start? We were talking about talking about load development, load development. Load development. So, and, and that was the ultimate. It was, was charge weight. Load development was one of our probably hottest podcasts during the very beginning. With, of with Scott, with Scott, yeah, right. Um, I think it tested a lot of people's current ways of of looking at how to do load development, right? Because Scott's got a lot of experience in 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 reloading, obviously. He's got his. Uh, well, he doesn't do the. He doesn't do the what was deemed the Saturday method anymore. Supposedly, was the one shot for one shot each charge weight. Yeah, picking one. He's not, he not doing that anymore. I don't think. Looking I think. for the velocity. Flat but spot. you know, it was. I mean, Kalen had before we started recording. Kalen had like blew my mind out of uh, out of my skull when he told me how he did the development because it's so in depth and. Scientific and shit, and if you listen to my podcast, you know I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> I'm the lazy man shit. My load development is so not that it's better or more accurate than that. It's just so much dumber than that. So I will literally take three rounds of whatever range that I know. My, every round I load for, I mean, I pretty much know within four tenths of a grain of what the, the weight's going to be because mm-hmm. it's so popular now of all these cartridges yep. you know what on the, the aggregate is of all the loads that sh- people shoot uh-huh. so i'll take you know however many wide that uh the lowest charge weight highest charge weight three shots uh i'll shoot it in the fucking dirt I, I don't give a fuck as long as i shoot them over a chronograph mm-hmm. and then i'll like okay this one was uh, th- these two maybe were very good spreads and a, a velocity that I like. Um, I'm a little more of those, and then I'll load like five of those, and then shoot that. Okay, that was good to me. It wasn't just a statistical anomaly that three of them shot close together, but now I shoot five or more. There's the like right, now my extreme spread went to forty instead of the twelve that it was right. So boom, I got that. 
seating depth test from there, I'm done. What are you checking for seating depth test? What do you want to check for? Group yeah. size. Group size, okay. Yeah, well, group size and consistency between uh, a length on each side of that one. Because, you know, with now, presses, now, now are you looking for a vertical or are you looking for a horizontal or a combination? I, I, I want it, if I have a choice that's not one fucking hole, I want it to be more so shaped than like a cloverleaf. Yeah. You know, to where maybe like, a, like four squares. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's what I like. If it's not all one hole, that's what the shape that I'm looking for. I don't like stringing any direction, vertical or horizontal. Or horizontal. Yeah, yeah, no stringing. It better be a cluster. Um, and uh, and then it, if there's three tenths, I do a three tenth increment. So I don't I don't really even measure out like my lens like this one here. I don't even measure. I don't even know what it's fucking measured at right now. Those are the 25 pre morning ones. Did you do Eric Cortina's method? Basically, it's how I do it. But yeah. with that barrel, I just, it was, I took five rounds of ammo loaded from my other 25 Creedmoor barrel. Different barrel manufacturer. It was actually, they're, they're actually cut a little bit differently too. Um, I pulled bullets out of leftover ammo. I dropped a new bullet, this, the burger, as opposed to the blackjack. Didn't measure. I didn't even touch the fucking seat and die. I just wanted to see what it would do. Yeah. And I seated five. And it was that. I was like, done. I mean, it's slow. It's a slow. I know I'm not worried about pressure. If you guys, real quick, David, I don't want to interrupt you, but if you're unfamiliar with Eric Cortina, David, you've had on your podcast a few yeah, times. Twice, yeah, he's a He's great on YouTube. A really knowledgeable guy. I've learned a few techniques from him, uh, but he's the F-class shooter. Yeah. And uh, check out his, his YouTube, but it pretty much is YouTube of... Um, Stop chasing the lands, right? I think that's, that's one of the biggest. YouTube. That's the one that kind of got that yeah. one and the stop next size. Stop next size. Uh, 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 um, yeah, next size. Next only. size only. Yeah, yeah. 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 Those were his really the videos that kind of took off, but then people started wanting more. So basically, yeah, it is his method. So, uh, but I do want at least the wider the better when seating depth. The wider of this range that they all shoot the the same the better. I don't want one where like, okay, 2.100 shot fucking tits. I mean, just little bitty groups, but 2.103 or 2.097 were shit. Because you have variants. To back this up to the original opening to this conversation, how many samples did you shoot to establish? Oh, I, I okay, well, prove it. Like, so, to make sure it's that. So, let's break this up into two parts because I believe that there are two parts to this. Yeah. The part that there's two parts of load development that we need to, to identify. Number one, it's timing, powder charge. Right? Well, so, oh, okay. You know, no, no, I'll ask that question after. Keep going, keep going. So, we have two parts we have powder charge, which is timing. Right? That's the length of time that it takes the bullet to exit the mouth of the cartridge, enter into the bore, and then therefore exit the muzzle. Then we also have how accurate the load shoots. Accuracy is directly related to bullet stability. And bullet stability is directly related to how the bullet enters the, the rifling and the lands and groups. How concentrically does it enter? So. That has more to do with the, the bullet seating depth has uh, or, or accuracy has more to do with bullet seating depth because that's directly, directly responsible for bullet stability. 
is how much Yes. How long? How long and how straight does it go exactly. into the throat and into because the lanes? Owen, order, Owen can in, back in, me up in, on this. In this order for that bullet to, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That this, makes Owen sense. can back me up on this. This is physics, right? Because when that bullet starts rotation, it initiates rotational velocity. We have a center of gravity and a center of pressure. Therefore, that creates a longitudinal axis, and those two those two centers will start to rotate around one another, which is precession. And when the bullet exits the muzzle, it is processing, sometimes violently, depending on twist rate and whether or not you've matched it appropriately. So the amount of the amount of jump, the amount of the amount of um, time it takes that bullet to enter the, the lands and grooves is going to be directionally direction I'm sorry, directly proportional to the shape of the ogive, the shape of the, of the junction between the throat, the lead, and then therefore the lands, like the, all of that shit is very, very crucial to bullet stability, which is then, that's precision. We have the bullet exiting the muzzle at a certain rate of speed, and we can gain consistency there because the barrel is whipping on three dimensions at once. And then we look at how precisely, how stable is that bullet exiting at that particular instant to produce the accuracy that I want. Now, I guess if you, if you boil it down, so maybe a, maybe a good way to think of it is when the bullet enters the atmosphere, right, it's, it's external ballistics at this point. It's done with your gun. It's out of the bore. It's out of the blast effects of the gases coming out of your bore. At that point, the atmosphere has doesn't care about your charge weight, anything else. That's all it really doesn't care about the pressure in your chamber. Yep. All that atmosphere cares about is, is things like how fast is this thing going? You know, what's its mass? You know, because all these things determine the drag. The shape. Right. The shape of it. Because it's, it's all about drag at that point. Drag well, and gravity, which is predictable and no unknown entity but essentially that uh but it's different in in, in the internal ballistics yeah and, and this is something that I, i'm not super versed on like i know some general stuff but at a, at a qualitative level i understand internal ballistics but down into the numbers because that's where it really matters we're talking about such tiny tiny uh differences between things that have effects yeah right you've got to know the data right and it's like you guys as reloaders now i'm not a reloader but you guys see undeniably a difference in the effects when i change the seating depth by one thousandth of an inch it's about five thousand five thousand you'll see yeah, in a shift five, so five thousandths of a difference in seating that's, depth that's you see you see undeniable effects oh yeah Right, you're like that shoots like ass, hole, fuck that one. So, yeah, so at some point, it's almost like the old school data book, right? And from a reloader's perspective, it's like I did this, no, I it was it. bad. I didn't mean even if I don't understand the theory of the physics of any of that, I don't care. I know this. Man, I did this, it was bad. That's I did. That. I did this, it was good. I will do the thing that made the good so thing happen. Reloaders and right. reloaders in large part before before we truly had like a, a, a mainstream grasp on on science, 
through literature and, and you know more easily understandable literature right it was largely just finding your own truths it was saying like you said if i did this fucking a happens that's called a heuristic if i do that yeah. fucking b happens i don't like b i like a so i'm gonna do fucking a yeah yeah. When when you don't have the mechanism, when you you don't have the mechanism to back up why you're seeing these different results, and you can't follow that and explain it and model it mathematically, it's a heuristic. Heuristics work to a certain point, right? They're actually very they're very useful, right? Uh, but uh, reloaders, I get the feeling, are largely using heuristics. Yes. And uh, yes. they're like, I did this. I liked what I saw on the paper. I'm gonna keep doing that. I'm gonna keep doing it. That's a heuristic. I don't know why it happened necessarily. I can go with theories, and we can sit here and drink beers and talk about the theories, whatever. At the end of the day, whether I try to, con whether you are convinced by my theory or not, you know what you're actually gonna do when you go back and reload? You're gonna use the heuristic. You're gonna whatever that happened that yeah. produced good results. You're gonna yeah. do that. You're right. Yeah. And now, now what we're all searching for is that that Einstein. Right, which is none of us, right? Uh, that that has done the research and the the, the detailed scientific experiments. That that that, yeah. that has actually dug into, you know, is it the fact that there's this excel? If you if you if you increase the the distance before the bullet enters the grooves and lands, it allows the bullet to accelerate that much more, which improves performance. Or if I put them right up against the landing lands and grooves, they don't get to accelerate. I saw poor performance. You know, you hear you hear different theories, you know, on, on all this stuff, and it gets very complicated very quickly. But at some point, there has to be someone that creates a, a method that they can test this stuff and, and apply science. I, I kind of feel I kind of feel like the only way that you'd be able to do that is with shadow graphs or a three dimensional shadow graph. Because how else are you going to know how else you going to So, like, have you ever seen those pictures of bullets that kind of look like x-rays? It's basically like a, a, you know, a side view of the bullet, and then you can see the shock wave off of them. Yeah. That's basically, it's called a shadow graph. And so that's that's a, an x-ray that's taken in a, in a ballistics lab, and they fire the bullet through a tube, and they take pictures of it. Right. And so, therefore, you can see... And study the aerodynamic what effect. That fact, prior to Doppler radar, that's how uh, the original ballistic coefficient idea came up was through spark photography. Uh, that's where the shadow spark range. I mean, range. The, it's insane. These people used to set up 800 yards where they would set up these cameras that would trigger a, a photograph of the bullet. It would take them months to set up the spark range just to capture the spark you know, for one bullet. Take them months to set it up. Now we have double radar and it just captures it all. Right. But, but what I'm talking about when it comes to reloading, if we're gonna talk about the theory of internal ballistics, what's happening inside that chamber between the relationship between that cartridge, the bullet, uh, the dimensions, the seating depth, the tension, neck tension. on the neck. Neck tension is the key. Uh, and, right, bullet release. And, yeah. and, and and how that relates to the concentricity of the bullet entering the lands and grooves versus the effects on the pressure. I mean, those are hard things to gather. I mean, those, those I mean, those are, I mean, you have to use heuristics. 
Yeah, I mean, abstractly, you can you can say we know these probably have some effect. These are the terms in our equation that we want to develop. For right, so it's, all, it's all but, for real. It's all it's all nuanced. I mean, it's all what works for you, right? And I mean, I can sit here until so, it. So so I'm I'm interrupting. I'm, I apologize, but until it doesn't, right? And then you don't know why. So and that's the thing. Heuristically, you can see that there's something's happening. Something's causing a correct, and it's happening inside that chamber. Yeah, something. I'm witnessing something that is that is not consistent with this previous data point, right? And and these are the factors that changed. It's the only thing we can really go off of. Me, I look for something. I want I want a cartridge that shoots uh, a projectile that I can predict accurately in a wide variety of, of environmental conditions real quick uh have you ever shot doing satellite's ladder testing two grains right over like a chronograph like a lab radar that didn't have any influence of the of the muzzle the barrel, yeah in a one inch pacer mm. no 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 but I, I, I think I've played. Have you that. heard of people doing that? So the, que so the question is, have you ever yeah. seen anyone shoot, like, let's say, 10, 12 loads, right? Charge weight. Charge weight. One shot okay. each. One shot each in a one inch pacer. I'm just to check, the, just again, to check the ladder. Yeah, so I'm, I've, done, I've done Scott's test. Mm -hmm. Probably on a half a dozen, half a dozen loads. Now, does it ever leave? Let's say the spectrum yes. of that. Yes. Okay. It does. Okay. It absolutely the does. Spectrum of that one inch dot. Yes. Yes. No. It, it absolutely does. Okay. And it also a lot of it depends on barrels, like mm -hmm. um, quality um, barrels. Yeah. Or or it, it also like what is the barrel material made? Like what is the barrel material? Are we talking about carbon fiber wrap barrel? Are we talking about a long skinny steel barrel? Are we talking about a proof research? competition contour for co competition I would say for competition that, because that's mainly what I've been doing it for lately yes yes I have yeah. Yeah. absolutely absolutely because it all has to do all of all of the accuracy has to do with bullet number one first and foremost bullet stability and then number two at what point in time is the bullet exiting the muscle the muzzle in the rifle's vibrational wave pattern because so the reason why you put them in that specific order yeah because bullet stability we need to have bullet stability for good for for good accuracy it's like a necessary thing to have we we in shot about, in about 10 minutes ago or before we got into kind of like a, i think you were going to talk about maybe why potentially you started doing seating depth tests prior to your prior to your charge weights which is great question, which is, again, I, I think it came to light in our episode 14 with Scott Satterley. But now, again, I've been, I know I've been doing it a lot recently too, uh, in my recent loads that I found, but I'm curious to see why, why you put that in that specific order. I learned something. I learned something. I learned after reading that series of articles that this is something that could take my, could take my OCW tests to a much more definitive level. Because OCW tests, the way that I've done them, I started off reloading as, as a teenager 
literally like 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 you're talking about david like you're just fucking like well okay this one shoots good i didn't have a chronograph at that point in time i was 14 years old with a 30 odd six trying to figure out like how to get this shit to work so that i could hit some shit it, it literally was trial and error it was just like well okay well the fucking reloading manual says i should load this much of this type of powder and then i'm gonna i'm gonna measure the cartridge overall length I'm shooting these 168 grain Sierra match games and they should be this long. That's it. That's all I had. Yeah. Didn't know shit about seating depth. Didn't know shit about adjusting seating depth for accuracy. But I, I was on this quest to figure this shit out. And I think that's the key to me as far as accuracy and precision. Accuracy is I hit target. Precise is I hit it in the same spot me multiple times yes so that we all want a, an accurately precise load that's what we all want we want to hit that target in the same spot yeah, accuracy and precision so I, I i'm always going to derail you guys i'm always my brain's always going <laughs> off on some fucking tangent while you're talking so i apologize for that but anyway you don't you uh, apologize it's all. a fake apology i'm not really sorry i'm not sorry at all actually but anyway uh, but it's the polite thing to say. Continue on my path of direction. <laughs> my brain's locked, man. My brain got locked in the direction. Literally did the fucking Jedi mind trick. We're so, going to talk about this right now. So, so again, I'm not I'm not a reloader, right? And I think that's important. You know, I'm not a reloader. But when I hear you guys talk about your methods, it's all attempts at. Uh, producing a scientific experiment. Mm -hmm. It's really all it is. Yeah. And it's, uh, but I'm familiar with scientific experiments in certain areas and how that's approached and how it's done. But the way it happens in reloading and everything is uh, like you're talking about this person's method, that person's method. That's not how science works. Science isn't like, hey, I'm gonna, per I'm gonna make an experiment due to Smokatelli's method mm -hmm. in physics. Mm -hmm. That's not how we think about it in science. Uh, some person may have designed a scientific experiment. This experiment itself is evaluated at it, uh, on its own merits and how accurate it is. Mm -hmm. uh, who cares who did it? In fact, the, uh, the idea in science is that someone designed a sound method of testing and gathering data and analyzing that data and then they put it out there so everyone else can replicate it and test their method. And, and so reloading, what you want to do is you guys have, you're at the, so if I ask you right now, I'm going, I'm about to, what variables matter to you when you're reloading? What are the, so just catalog those variables. What are the things I pay attention to and change and adjust to try to produce the, the smallest group I can. So are we talking about end result? So end result for me, point of impact consistency over a, a, a variety, a spectrum of environmental conditions, all including pressure. So you're looking for that's the smallest group size that's closest to your point Consistent of to your point of end. Yes. That's the end result. Right. That's, that's the, end, the result. end result you want. That's the measure of how well yeah. things are yeah. going right yeah what other things are you changing 
What are the things on the back end? Two, two, two. charge, neck tension, seating depth, bullet selection. It all starts with, I would say it all starts with quality components, right? So the very first thing that I'm looking for is quality brass, quality primers. Uh, Mike, we're we're, in in the wrong track already. Are we in the wrong track? No, no, no. It's the wrong track. I'm I'm, I'm saying, think about physics, right? Yeah. Um, Combustion harmonics. So, so you're thinking about things like the tension on the neck for the bullet. Okay. Right. That's one. That's one term. That's one variable okay. that needs to be accounted for. Okay. Then you've got the weight of the, the amount of powder. Right. So you're measuring by weight okay. grains. Right. Yep. That's another variable. Ignition is important. What do you mean by ignition? The fill volume of the case. So the, the amount of volume in the case. Inside the case. Yep. Because, with the power. Yeah. So we've got volume in the case, mass of the powder, mm-hmm. mass of the bullet, tension on the neck, mm-hmm. distance from the bullet to lands and grooves. Right. What I'm saying is you write down a list of these things that you you think about, okay. right? Your mind is like So you, you you write down this legend, so to speak, mm-hmm. of yep. variables. Then what you do is you think about how can I create an environment where I can try my best to keep all those variables the same except one. And manipulate it. And then I adjust that one variable and see what happens on that paper at 100 yards. Then I can measure. Chasing your tail. Then I can start to figure out how much of an effect does this one variable, this one thing, the seating depth or the neck tension or the powder load. I want to isolate one of those things. I want, and I'm, I'm trying, and I understand this is easier said than done, clearly. But I want to try to keep all the rest of those things the exact same. Adjust this one thing. See the effects on the paper. Record that dogmatically and precisely put it in my Excel sheet with a scatter plot function in my Excel and, and see what, you know, when I changed it by this much, what were the effects on the paper, right? Try to get a decent sample set of that and then lock that variable down, keep it the same and change another one and just so systematically do this. I, I think, in, in my personal opinion, we have two different types of, of reloading, of shooters that are reloaders in um, in our worlds. We have uh, the, the, the reloaders that are very pragmatic, end result driven. This is what I want, right? Like, yep. I need this shit to work and be fucking consistent, but I'm not willing to do this shit. Well, yeah, you know, do it. You split this out in pie, there's one piece left. Right? God damn. Man, you know I like sugar. No, <laughs> right, we're going to split this out a lot. Okay, um, keep going. Listen. So we have that. Wait, it was pragmatic. He pragmatic. Up with the goddamn. Oh, the pragmatic. Yeah, the pragmatic reloader that has the end game. I will. I don't care how it gets yeah. there. I just Get want it there I, in probably the quickest time possible. Exactly. I don't want to. I don't fucking like being at yeah. this bench. I would rather be at home, hanging out with my wife and my kid and all the shit. Right. Or we have the hobbyist reloader, 
To just well, who quantity is just of ammo. No, they oh you mean geek out on the shit? Geek yeah. out on the shit, right? That's like their fucking thing. Yeah, that's equal to them as the shooting. Board. Correct. And, so, and, so that's and that's the other thing. Not that we, me. That was what Bentrest tested. Well, Bentrest tests two things: your load development and, and your rifles. Well, yeah, I'm saying like, and, and, and also, okay, fair enough. Yeah, if you're going to shoot hard yard bench rest or if you're going to shoot like, yeah, then wing calls. Absolutely. But then it even, like, then you, have, when you start getting into F class. Right, so we have F class. It's all the same shit. And then now we have our competitions, which is basically. Doesn't require the precision that theirs does. It does require accuracy. But we're doing, we're basically doing bench rest with sandbags yeah it's literally what my rifle is mm-hmm. it's a bench press rifle a rifle that i would have scoffed at years ago like seeing those old fucking dudes you know sh- shooting these 25 pound rifles oh yeah little six millimeter brs and shit you don't understand how happy i was on that episode that you two announced that you're both building bras yeah, yeah. Because I was like, in your fucking face. <laughs> so I shot Heidi's rifle today, and it was fucking bad. Even though it's not even fit to me, you know, she's like Dude. a little micro mini human. It's like a pellet gun. It's a smaller. So, you know, literally watching the bullet the whole goddamn way. So, Kalen, Kalen, as we're telling him, I've never shot one. And he's like, Did you got to shoot this. Yeah, that's just I got behind it. I, uh, the recoil was so minimal. I saw the muzzle flash through the scope. I saw, I'm like, boom, I saw the muzzle blast and then everything after. Like there was like zero interruption. I saw everything. I saw the entire and you event. Can't, and you can't make a bad load for it. That's why I feel that there are That's, just cartridges that are inherently I'm accurate. I'm glad you brought that up. Because, I mean, I, I've literally never been able to make a dasher load that wasn't half inch. That's not what I landed on. That was the bad load. Half inch was what I threw away. So, so um, talking to, uh, you know, Francis Cullen is? Yeah. That works with the populace. He's great, not uh, competitive shoes. All, all, all around great guy. And we were talking during the finale after uh, day one, and you know he do, he does a lot of bullet testing and stuff like that. He's like, what he's they found at the shop is that typically the lower the recoiling cartridges, the more consistent loads are, and the more accurate and precise. It's all energy, that, man. That cartridge. It's is. all energy. Mm. It's all the transfer of energy because, like last night, our conversation about like. Why Why does a vibrational wave pattern go to the end of a medium and then all of a sudden it says, fuck that, I don't know, I can't, I can't exit this medium, so I have to go back this way. The way that you explained that was, oh, brilliant. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, the, the speed at which the energy from the ballistic event in the chamber, because uh, it's, it's, it's energy. It's energy being blasted out in all directions, right? It propagates out, but it's doing it through steel and composite materials in the stock and all these things. Well, the denser the material, the faster the energy moves, right? And obviously composite stocks and steel and aluminum and all these things transmit energy way faster than the gas of the atmosphere around the gun. Anytime you have energy moving, when it reaches a, a severe change in density, 
it will reverse and go back in the opposite direction. So for example, the energy from the, the powder combusting in the uh, cartridge and chamber transmits that energy to the chamber, the barrel, which is very dense, and it moves at you know 19,000 feet per second, and then it hits the outer edges of that barrel and chamber, right, or the, the gun itself. The difference in density between that barrel and the surrounding air is so different that the energy then reverberates and goes back into the gun, and it creates this pattern, like it just reverberates back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's, it gets less and less, every time it does it, it dampens a little bit, it lessens a little bit. And the reason, and the way I explained it to Kalen is imagine you're in this concert, right? And you're shoulder to shoulder uh, in the middle of the concert. And everyone in the middle of the concert's got chem lights, right? This is a rave. It's a rave. This is a party, right? And everyone, everyone's, everyone's job, everyone's job is I have to pass a chem light to someone that's around me, immediately around me, right? That's my job. Someone that does not have a chem light, need, I need to hand a chem light to them. Well, when it's super dense, shoulder to shoulder people, the people on the outside, everyone's got a chem light to hand someone, you know, and so they pass it around. But let's imagine that the outer edge of this group, it suddenly drops off and there's only a few people scattering around the edge. Well, the people on the outer edge of the group, and those chem lights represent energy, right? They get to the outer edge of that group, well, there might be a thousand people on the outer edge of this group. In fact, the larger the diameter of this group, the more people will be on the outer edge of it. And suddenly it drops off to each person, on the, the thousand people on the outer edge of this group, each one of them... Each, each 10 of these people, there's only one person now that can get a chem light. So you're the person on the outer edge of the group, you have this chem light which represents energy, and all the people, you know, the five people to your left and right also have chem lights, but all 10 of you, know, all 10 or 11 of you only have one person you can, that can take a chem light. Mm. So they hand a chem light to that, one person hands a chem light to that person, the other nine or 10 people, there's no one, so they turn back around in the other direction and hand it back to one of the people that behind them that doesn't have a chem light now. That's, so that's how energy is transferring in these mediums. Like once it reaches the edge of that super dense medium, all that each one of those molecules has an energy it wants to give off, but the surrounding lesser dense gas, way lesser dense gas molecules in the atmosphere can only accept so much energy. I knew, I knew that I would learn something from going to a rave. <laughs> Yeah, I need a nap. My brain hurts. <laughs> so, but that, but that's why that's, but that concept of energy propagating through your weapon system on recoil, why it creates this pattern, pattern, this and why, barrel whip and recoil, and, and, all and that's stuff. why we want to. That's why we want a load that's resilient mm -hmm. to all of these. So, once we find. Um, like the barrel traveling vertically, right? So, right, we, we talked about that earlier where the barrel's traveling vertically and then it gets to a certain point where it slows down and it hangs out up here for, you know, a few microseconds. And then it's like, okay, I got, I've energy to disperse. So it travels in a downward motion. 
but in reality, this is happening in three dimensions all at fucking once, right? Mm-hmm. And so where we want the bullet to exit is where we have that consistency where the, where the muzzle located on a, on a graph is, is chilling right here for X amount of seconds. So that means that if, even if my powder charge is varying for like three, you know, three tenths of a grain, the bullet is still going to be allowed or permitted to exit the muzzle at that point in time and space, regardless if it's, you know, 2670 or 2680, it's still going to exit the barrel at the same spot, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the difference with, with looking at optimal charge weight, because you're, you're, you're able to isolate two things. You're isolating the point at which the bullet exits the barrel and we have a consistent point of impact on the target. So even if my charge weight change, right? Even if my barrel slows down a little bit because I'm shooting it out, right. the vibrational, the bullet is timed appropriately to the vibrational wave pattern that's going to exit the barrel at the same spot. At the same spot. And that's determined by seeing that. Right? that no, that's determined by charge weight. Well, so you said that the, char- the charge weight changed. If the charge weight changed, it doesn't matter because because we're still hanging out at the top here for a certain amount of time. Right, but if you got a different charge weight, how is that not changing where it's happening, where it's actually releasing it? Because it's all proportional. It's all proportional. So if you have there's gonna be there's gonna be a band, there's gonna be a band of pressure that initiates this velocity of the speed of sound propagating through this material. Right, so it's going to vibrate at a certain frequency, and if I change that, like that frequency is going to be in a band, like a spectrum, and that's where I want the bullet to exit the barrel, somewhere in that spectrum. And I started, I started to see this more clearly when I started to plot out my x y points on a visual graph. You can literally see it. You see a sinusoidal wave. You can see a wave yeah. in the plots, and then you can go, okay, it's flat right there in those six tenths of charge weight, and then it rapidly increases on either the X or the Y axis. It's of no consequence whether it's X or Y. It's only one axis because that's where we're looking to see the consistency. Phil Phil just pulled up a picture not too long ago of, of, of it was like a charge weight test mm-hmm. that he had done. And in there, and you, if you can, if you have an eye for it, you can see it. Oh yeah, he, he had it was like there was like five targets in the picture, and the groups. If you look at the position of the groups at the center of the picture, you see a sinusoidal wave. Yep, that's the node across. So the so so, this became clear when I got a lab radar. Sorry, Ryan, I love you, but um, <laughs> it's just made it so much easier when I started shooting groups through a lab radar. And seeing that with two rounds, three rounds stacking right on top of each other, but all producing way different. And I'm talking like 10, 15, 20 feet per second different speeds and muzzle velocity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 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 so the, the, what makes me, what leads me, why I've always been under the assumption of as far as where the harmonics of that barrel where it's releasing the bullet and how yes that is definitely important it's, yep. I guess that's king that's what we're looking for right but what is dictating that 
is the seeding depth simply because of example of barrel tuners that, is, that does not touch your charge weight of your at all but what i did was when i had because you, you know i have an ai before i just sold it earlier this year i had a different rifle that was chamber to six dasher i had a dasher load for that rifle and shot i mean fucking buckets to dasher shoot bug holes so i wanted and i got the dasher barrel spun for the ai i told my gunsmith I want the brass to headspace the exact same, da da da. And he said, cool, I got it. I got all your measurements here. Between those four different guns for AI, he still, he had that, those dimensions as well. Gotcha, take care of it. Got the barrel. So the first barrel is 27 inches long. This barrel is 26 inches on the AI. So I put it, but the, the chambers are identical. It's the same reamer, I own the reamer. Um, so everything was cut the same. The speeds were about uh, with 25 30 feet per second difference average right but the quality of the group as far as the, sp the spreads were equal equal to each other now the same ammo with the bullet seat in depth as it was shot like dog shit in the ai okay i was trying to do my lazy thing i was like you know what i'm gonna put a fucking tune on this bitch and I'm going to tune the load in the same ammo. That way, if I've got 50 rounds left over loaded for that rifle, but I want to shoot this one, I'll just use the same ammo and not touch it, put the barrel tune on, I'll have that tune whatever. I got the same exact accuracy with the same exact ammo, seat depth and everything, but just by putting the tuner on and then tuning it in, well, that's not touching the bullet, the ammunition at all. So, barrel tuner. You're putting one. Moving weight. Moving weight or your aft, however, yeah. How, so so you, you have one, you mess with them, yeah, and yeah. you would test to their effectiveness. I mean, I'm, they're, they're, they're for sure effective. They, they work on my on my factory ammo loads. He knows why, like, he understands, he gets it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I've heard a lot, I heard a lot about, so I'll be honest, when I hear a lot about the, you know, the average person that shoots guns, I, I understand that they are. They basically form opinions based on heuristics, right? They just, they did a myriad of things and it turned out better, but they don't understand the physics behind A and B. Um, they I did can A, you I am in that camp right. in every situation. <laughs> Almost everyone. Uh, pretty much everyone. In every I consider myself a By the way, I'm not a scientist. Like, you, like, you, like, in order to not utilize heuristics to gather results, you, you have to be a scientist. And you have to yeah. be very By the way, I, I, I consider myself someone that relies on heuristics. I still don't know right. what's the most funniest or accurate statement is when you just said that comment or when Kalen talked about Burning Man. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I will say this. When it comes to barrel tuners, I have an uncle that he's 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 a, a mechanical engineer that also shoot that loves to reload. I mean, he's an advocate of precision shooting. And he, me and him had a discussion. He brought barrel tuners. It was the first time I heard barrel tuners. I didn't know they existed until I talked to him. This is years ago. And I'm like, hmm, that sounds like, because the guy I'm talking to, my uncle, is he's a smart man. He's educated in physics and mechanical engineering and gunsmithing, right? And I'm like, this sounds legit. So I uh, immediately sent a text message to Lyman Hazleton, right? 
And I'm like, is this legit? And, my, and within 30 seconds, Lyman came back to me and he's like, yeah, absolutely, yes. If you like, if you're that, if you are a true precision fanatic, barrel tuner. You know what's so funny is that there are people out there that say it's fucking hocus pocus and it's bullshit. Yeah, no, it's it's legit. And people that are fucking staples in this industry. Well, they look, barrel tuners are nothing new. Um, they've been used in the rimfire world forever because why? Because no one's fucking loading rimfire or chain doing load development for fucking rimfire. Nobody in the history of Evans is making fucking rimfire ammo for themselves, other than uh, a couple people doing like solids. They're making like rimfire with solid bullets, but those they're all getting different lots of uh, this ammo or different lots of that ammo. But no, they, but the way to make it all come around with those is a barrel tuner. So back to my point of was obviously the seat and depth is how on the same charge weight, I changed my seat and depth and I, I came to the conclusion of, I, of the number I liked. I like this number, I like the spread, all that jazz, all that stuff. Now I want to get dialed in. Yeah. I did that via my seating depth. Now it's got this plug hole. Now take that same ammo that's tailored for barrel A, put it in barrel B, and it, the, the the numbers are great still, but the, the group is dog shit, like comparatively so dog shit. So I throw the tuner on there and I get it right back to the equivalent as the other ammo, I mean, the other rifle. Uh, so let's talk about, the, the, real quick, before you bring that up, let's talk about the reverse side of having a tuner. And when you actually do load development correctly with a tuner, mm. when you do load development with a tuner, what I found is whatever number that you're on, anything other than that number shoots like dog shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. I've never done that. Yeah. Right. You're, you're some heuristic motherfucker. Right. So, 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 okay, so I've got I've got Eric Cortinas. I've, I've got Eric Cortinas. I've got Eric Cortinas tuner, mm-hmm. right? And I've seen it work with like you just like you just said. I, I Factory ammo. Well, not even a factory ammo. I, I started with the barrel and I was like, I don't even know what to, to start with it. So I, lo- I used an old load from a different barrel that I knew shot lights out. And I did the exact thing that Eric Corsina told me to do with a hey, check, look for the snow, and boom, it shot fucking great. It shot for like 200 rounds. So then I actually started load development with that barrel with A tips. Did the, uh, and went back to the uh, seating depth that we talked about with Sally and Mark Gordon, and then my charge weight. And I fucking shot lights out. And then, then I tried to do the third step, which is tune my tuner. But then anything other than my number that I was set on shot like absolute dog shit. So a tuner is adjusting the length or the frequency of the wave. Mm-hmm. That's all it's doing. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. It's, but it's 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 also the distribution of weight over the length of the barrel, because obviously you you add more weight at the end. Yeah, you're hanging weight on the end of the barrel. You're hanging a weight at the end of the barrel, and the longer that barrel, the the same weight matters more the longer the barrel, mm. so to speak. Boy, say say that one more time. So the same weight. So imagine more the longer. So, so imagine you hold your arm out, right? And we get the pins of paint at sniper school. Yeah. 
Pennsylvania, you, bitch. You 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 hold you hold so you hold your hand out. I submit. Wherever you put you put a half a pound in that hand. And before it happened, now if your arm is six inches longer, oh yeah, that same amount of weight is heavier on the muscle in your shoulder, right? This is the Archimedes principle, right? I'm thinking, give me a I'm thinking about the tall ass motherfucker. This is leverage, right? The tall ass motherfucker is that. I think, was, I, think first. I think it was Archimedes that said, "Give me a lever long enough, I will lift the planet. I will lift the earth." So I'll move, right? the, I'll move the earth. Uh, and, and so the longer your barrel, that so, the, the 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 more weight you put at the end and where it's at, and so it's all this is all physics, right? Yeah. And, and it's what you're doing, and begin. And the best uh, center, the best mental kind of anchoring point, I heard from Kalen yesterday when he said, I forget who you said you were talking to, but they had actually calculated it. And that three thousandths oh, yeah. of an inch of change in the buttstock equals half a minute of change at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know that's the exact you know the linear, you know, yeah yeah the yeah, angular the angular growth yeah. right he did that shit in his head walking back from the hundred yard yeah because it's and, and, and it's it's brilliant but that and and then Kalen add this thing which three thousandths of an inch is equal to the average width of a human hair you change the width of a human hair in your position that's half an inch at a hundred yards. And and and, and 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 then we can go to a thousand yards. What's that? You know. So and then, and this was all couched in the discussion of how important positional accuracy is. Your position, you know, accuracy in your position. You're, you're the biggest mistake. How neutral are you? You're the biggest mistake in this process, right? It's not your scope. It's not your gun. It's not your ammunition. You, you're the you're the silverback gorilla screwing everything up, right? But. Uh, but that, but that, but that barrel tuner represents this instrument that is addressing barrel vibration yeah. and all these things, and it and it's a, it's it's a, a precise scientifically designed instrument that makes micro adjustments. It's a micrometer hmm. at the end of your barrel, designed to. Compensate and deal with all of these variables that we're talking about in reloading that we don't quite understand. We don't have we have a qualitative understanding, but we don't have a quantitative understanding of necessarily. Uh, and so that little thing that they put in the barrel where you screw it and it shifts weight. Uh, and so really, it's it's when you attach that thing to the end of your barrel, it doesn't change its weight at all. It weighs whatever it weighs. It's changing its distance so, from the end of the barrel, the leverage, yeah. and the, and the effects of that on the vibrations. Couple, so, yeah. couple, couple interesting points. Um, in the in our summit that we did last summer, you were on, right? Yeah. yeah. I I talked to Ted, and I just sat there in my in my in my shop in the studio and asked Ted a shit ton of questions, man. Like. What do you think about this? Like, what is this? You got the dream job, dude. From a, from, a, from a, you know, from trying to put this into layman's terms so people can understand it. And Ted said that the the best barrel 
would be one that is shaped like a hammer. And the hammer, like the striking end of the hammer, yeah, would be the muzzle. Yeah. Because then it's going to have, it's, it's going to, it's going to be able to maintain that position at the top of the wave pattern for a longer duration. It's harder to move that heavy object at right. the end. And then it doesn't matter the velocity at which it travels from this point to this point. Because take, take uh, carbon fiber wrap barrels as an example. Once I started plotting the XY points and I could start visually seeing, you know, the, the, the wave pattern of how things were striking on the target, the point of impact, I noticed a distinct difference between steel barrels and carbon fiber barrels. Mm -hmm. Distinct. Which should be apparent. Right. The, the carbon fiber barrels reverberated a much more narrow band. Yeah. And and the steel barrels, the heavier they get, they reverberate at a much more sure. narrow. Band. They're more forgiving. Wait, 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 let's put that in layman's terms. So a, a longer, heavier steel barrel stiffer is easier to find a load for because yes. it's wider nodes versus a carbon fiber. So let, let me explain. Or even this is, this is basic physics, right? Now, the, the reason is basic physics. This is not complicated, right? Uh, the, here's what just popped in my head. Uh, I want you to imagine a sledgehammer with a five pound sledge on the end of it, right? And then I want you to imagine that same thing without the sledge head on it, just the handle. Yeah. Just the wooden handle. Now picture yourself, because what you're doing when you swing a sledgehammer is you're applying force. Just like just like the barrel vibrations are applying force, it's physics, right? You're trying to apply force now, but you're having to do it with your hands. You take a piece of, uh, just, just a handle without the sledgehammer, how easy is it to swing that up and down? How much force do you have to apply? Hardly any. Hang a five pound weight at the end of that. Now, how much harder is it to bring that hammer oh, up and down? That's that's a much harder. That's, a, uh, that's like a that's a split and maul. Yeah. All you are is you're an instrument of physics applying a force to this handle, just like the recoil and barrel vibrations are doing to that muzzle. It's physics. It's just forces. Uh, it's way harder for you to swing just a wooden handle without a sledge at the end of it. It's so much easier. That goes you, you paying a five pound weight at the end of it, it becomes way harder. It also becomes way harder for those chamber pressures and those energies to move something that's have a heavier weight at the end. Steel, heavier steel barrels, uh, uh, you know, barrel tuner, you know, the you, you know, suppressor, you, you hang heavier weights at the end. It's like putting the head on a sledgehammer. Handling. So so wait wait but transfer that over to the ease of now because the way that you just said that makes it seem like with something with a heavier weight is harder. Yeah. No, but um, in, the less of, in the vibrational pattern, it's going to spend because it has such heavy mass. Like imagine something coming up that's super heavy, and and when it comes up, it's gonna be it's gonna hang out there for a longer duration of time. The, yeah. Before the movement, it starts to fall. The movement of at the end of the barrel. Oh, okay. At yeah. the end of the barrel, the movement's gonna be less because there's more mass. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm glad you guys said that because in my head, just the way that you just said it before that was like, okay, something with a heavier is harder to control. 
It's harder to move. It takes more force. It takes more force to move it. And and that's what we want when we're trying to find a barrel that is more forgiving with a low... The less movement at the end of the barrel, the better. better. The easier to find that load force. So therefore, the more... the, The harder... The, the you know the harder it is to move the end of that barrel through a mass material that is a, a heated barrel. Well, this is why well, shooting uh, a barrel getting really hot, hot it yeah. starts throwing Those flyers. It's not throwing flyers. It's just True. it's got more whip in it. Yeah. It's got more it's not elasticity, but yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, 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 you're changing the molecular integrity. Right. So now, if you look, if you had a high speed camera and you watch the barrel width of a cold barrel versus the same exact cold barrel. Or the same barrel after it's had 15 rounds down it, like back to back, you know, then you're going to see a lot more movement because it's so that would be the equivalent of having like a pencil barrel. That's why they heat up after three rounds. This is, this is why the optimal charge weight works. And what you just talked about was perfect. This is why 99.9% of new suppressor or suppressor owners will say when they put their suppressor on their rifles, their rifles become inherently more accurate. Yes. Yeah. You're reducing barrel width. And so now, as an example, I the this the the load the the barrel that I have for this uh, rifle here, it does not shoot suppressed very well. But if I take that suppressor off and put a can and put a muzzle brake on, that thing shoots dimes. But you put the suppressor well, it's on. it's a change. It's a complete change from right. when you did it's, the load development. Correct. Yeah. If, yeah. if you had done load development with the suppressor on, it'd yes. be probably totally, be the reverse. Right. Because, it's a, again, it's a mass and timing issue. And, yeah. and And it's all – that's why the optimal charge weight works. The, the optimal charge weight development works because what you're looking for, even if you didn't have a graph, right, you're looking for a pattern – of where the center of the group impacts in relationship to your point of aim. Right. So they're gonna group, so according to the test, you should have two to three charge weights that that all fall on the same relative, like within a tenth of an inch point of impact right. on the target. Right. And then as you go, as you, as you increase the charge weight, you're gonna start to see a shift in point of impact to another consistent location Right. But it's only going to be one charge, and then it's going to go back the other way, and those are that's the pattern of the vibrations. Yeah, and I can you can see that back to barrel tuners, you can see that pattern when going through your settings on a tuner, where it does have that kind of that, you can, that you're way in the group yeah, around. You're, yeah. where, it, where you can look where it's got your hash marks on your on the actual OD of the tuner, like let's say setting. Two point two and a quarter because they're in fours. In fours, we're calling MLA. So at the first rev, setting two point uh, two and a quarter. Once you go all the way back through that thing, when you get to second rev, two and a quarter, it actually looks a lot similar to the same one you just went to. Right. It, it will go up and down. Some be tighter more than others, but. That's why you do more than two revs, right? Exactly. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it more than two revs. Yeah. Um, but it, it is the same thing. It's like it's it's there, there, no, it's leaving, leaving, leaving. Oh, it's coming back around, coming back around, and there it is again, and it's leaving it's, again. Yeah. And and so so that is that is what affects. That's 
A barrel tuner is effectively um, doing the same thing that you can do with charge weight. That's all you're doing. Because charge weight is, is energy. Energy translates into a vibration, right? It's the movement of sound. But you don't think that the bullet in its relation to the lens is what's yes. causing that vibration to be <coughs> like... No, because the explosion that's occurring is initiating movement of the material of the of the molecules before the bullet even starts forward motion. So, well, so all of this is related. Uh, so, like, like for example, when when you like I mentioned earlier, when you lay out the legend of variables, right? These are all the things that affect, uh, clearly affect. Uh, the end result almost always in physics all of those things affect each other you change one it, cha it changes the effect of the other like these things are all interrelated you change one variable it has an effect on these other variables sure so uh, essentially what I'm saying is all of you, you what you both are saying is completely right yeah. you change this thing it's going to affect this other thing you're saying watch it this thing affects it, it, it yes absolutely it does one hundred percent. Everything's integrated. Usually, in physics, everything one variable affects another variable. That's why it gets yeah. very. That's and why it gets difficult when you try to model it. And I think yeah. that's the cool thing about something like reload, which no one—not say no one—so many people won't see it this way. But the old saying is, "There's only one way to skin a cast." Yeah. I mean. It's like, like it's, it's right. in, in training canines, it's the only two thing, the only thing that two trainers can agree with is the third guy's doing it wrong. And it's the same thing with, with almost everything. And because you know, if if you had a dasher and I have a dasher, like, hey, we're both going to do load development for it. Mm -hmm. I bet there's a good chance both of us would have kick-ass loads, and we would do it two totally different ways. Sure. That way, you can all come to the same end result by a different road. Well, in reality, and. and, and it doesn't happen in this group uh, often, uh, almost never. I don't remember any example of it happening. But I've heard a lot of other groups where you get people arguing about different variables in in the physics. Right? Someone will say, "Well, this thing, this thing affects it more than this thing," and so someone becomes this sort of fanboy of a certain variable in physics. And this other person becomes a fanboy of the other variable in physics, which is the, that's and they the argue with each other over which one matters. And the reality is, both matter to a certain degree, and the situation uh, dictates the range to the target, the atmospherics, the weapon you're shooting. You know, which one matters more is going to come down to the specific exact situation. So having the sitting, you know, sitting here arguing, uh, two drunk precision shooters arguing with each other over whether, you know, powder charge matters more than seating depth. It's 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 a stupid argument. Of course, they both matter. matter. Yeah, they're both variable. You're not blindly throwing in powder. No, to, uh, to a final. They're both they're, they're both variables. You're definitely measuring all of that shit. They're both variables. Yeah, these are variables in what affects the accuracy here. So you're both right. They both matter. Right. And which one matters more than the other depends completely on what the state, the circumstance. Like what, what situation are you talking about? You got Now you have to get down to the quantitative level. Yeah, You've got to compute it. Yeah. 
You've got to actually run the calculations, determine which bro. matters more, which most of these drunk <laughs> dudes arguing with each other have no idea about, right? So don't argue about it because you're not qualified. Right. No, just agree that both of them matter and then, yeah. you know. These are the results that I got from my method. Yeah. That's what you got from here. So yeah. fuck We're both got tight, tight shoe. That's, so like, that's where like look at like Scott's method. Scott clearly understands what the fuck he's doing and he produces, you know. Great ammo. Great ammo, great results. Um, I know companies that consult with him on ammunition development. Mm-hmm. He's qualified to discuss it. He's qualified to be a consultant for it. Especially the sixth grade more shit. And... However, however, I missed miss that I, part. Scott, uh, his name is Scott Satterley. He's been on our podcast talking about handling. Is he, does he associate with any organization or company, or just a private, completely yeah, private? He's a shooter. He's a shooter. He's a shooter. He, he's, he's a former ODA. Uh, he's Green Beret from. Um, he he did uh, his last tour with First Group. Does he have any academic training in any way? Mm-hmm. No. He's just an avid reloader. He's he's a really proficient shooter. He's he's well spoken. He has he has the ability he has the ability to communicate the information he has in his head, and yeah. people seek him for his reloading problems. Yeah, right now. So he's well, become he's yeah. become something important in the reloading world. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I'd love to talk to this guy and, and like his method he's, because he's he's a smart dude. He, he well, probably because he's. He personally is an intelligent man that has self-discovered the scientific method. Yeah, well, Scott, Scott's big thing is is he 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 loads in mass quantity for himself. Um, he don't want to sit there and load two hundred rounds. He's gonna sit there and load. He wants to load fucking five hundred or more, and he wants to do it in the least time possible. I'm, so he, I am there. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm He's super efficient. There. The, the one thing you know can take away from Scott is he's efficient in this shit. He wants to do find whatever he's going to shoot as early as possible and as fast as possible, and for the and for the longest duration of the life from of that arrow. to hold. And that's where what I love what him and Mark did. They they really changed my shit on seating depth, like the distance and everything. That's why like, I don't even. I don't even know where my bullet is in regards to the lanes. It doesn't matter. I just jump. I know it's jump like a motherfucker, and it probably the quality of that load has a better chance now of staying at the same quality through the. That's what you're looking for. Absolutely, longevity of that load. That's why the uh, that's why the OCW test in in my mind is is uh, in my experience the most consistent that I have seen mm-hmm. yet because it works for the life of the barrel. It works for variations in um, charge weight. It works for variations in seating depth. It works for variations in head space. It's because it's a pressure tolerant load. Yeah. Where it's like if you look at, and that's all, that's what based, that's what Dan Newberry wrote about. He was like, if any of you guys ever wondered why Federal Gold Medal Match shoots good in every, shoots good in every goddamn rifle out there. Meaning, if your 308 doesn't shoot federal gold medal match, it's, it's a piece of shit. Like yeah. send it back. It's made a stick. Right. So that's and and so federal gold medal match. That recipe is going to work for 
a lot of fucking different guns. Different barrel contours, different barrel lengths, different rifle weights, different twist rates, all the shit. And so that is the essence. That is really like that is the essence example of. I wish all fighter ammo was as good as. That is that is that the it's would you would you uh, so I'm gonna ask you guys a question because you guys are the most experienced people I know <clears throat> factory ammunition no reloading involved the most reliable stuff you're saying it's federal gold match yeah for over Hornady from my experience as seeing uh, just other what rival system platforms other students is when it comes to 308 cartridges the federal gold medal match 177 Sierra Match King produces the most consistent results through a 168 all these different weapons platforms and shooters and then for the that's for the 308 for the 65 Creedmore what I found is the 140 ELDM that's from yeah, 40 is the best. Is the I, most I, consistent. I, so my experience, this is why I brought it up, is you know my experience out at Branded Rock Canyon, and, and they're shooting all six fives, Creedmoor, right? Uh, Hornady, it's a fucking beast, man. Like it just it performs, yeah, yeah. dude. It, it shoots performs. It's honestly, really look, Hornady performs, me, dude. I've had a few a few barrels that. None, none didn't shoot the Hornady well, but They've I've had like three. I've had three different six five Primo barrels that absolutely loved the uh, Burger one forty hybrid loaded ammo. Like it was single digit SDs and I mean reload quality, hand load quality groups. So we're kind of in this position where you know Burger Hornady Federal, like they're all just performing. Yeah, but they're, they're, so, they're not so all created equal though, because there are some. Uh, Hornady has got the best six creepborn ammo on the fucking planet with the one hundred and eight LDM. So that's right. So, so they fucking design. They designed all of the creepmores. They they, they yeah. designed the fucking six five creepmore. They designed the fucking six. They designed the six five PRC. Like they fucking Hornady owns the six millimeter world. With as far as factory ammo, as far as factory ammo, yeah, I've got a case of because I brought in case. I mean, I told y'all day one with this twenty-five, this particular barrel, I had never shot it over a hundred yards before coming here. When we pulled it out, when I got here Friday night, that was the first time I'd ever shot it past a hundred. But uh, oh no shit, yeah, I never shot that that particular load with that barrel at distance at all. It's literally had it took. Me, how 15 many? rounds to figure out that I'm bringing that shit here. I mean, really. I mean, how, how many rounds you got through the barrels so far? Oh, that, that barrel has got a lot more rounds on it. Okay. It's just not that, not that ammo, not that bullet. But in case it fucking fell in its face at distance, I brought my six Creedmoor barrel and a uh, case of the Federal Premium Burger 105 ammo. And... It ain't as good as a Hornady. I mean, I've got a barrel tuner on that barrel right now, and I've got it on the setting. I've got it written down where it is, but it something groups in better. But without it, it did not. It wouldn't hold a candle to the, the Hornady ammo, like just in any barrel I've ever had. That's interesting. Well, it's so, a, it's well, so here's my suspicion: modern ammunition uh, production, because. Every company is trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Oh, yeah. 
I'd suspect these these big staples, Horny Burger, Federal, uh, they're probably very close to each other. So in reality, when we step back from being fans of certain things, and, then, and we you go and look at things objectively. When you look objectively and you go look at the standards of quality of production and the quality control, uh, I'd imagine these companies are probably very close to each other. They, they work very, these companies work very hard to uh, be as good or better than their competition, yeah. Yeah. right? So probably these companies, as far as their accuracy and precision, you know, the you know for their for their match or their their you know their precision lines are all probably almost the same. You know what I mean? Like they're probably very little different from each other as far as the consistency. Yeah. Well, so then when you add in something like barrel, so when you add in something like yeah. barrel tuner or or something that that has the ability to adjust between companies, right? Hornady versus Federal versus this. It's more. You have a barrel tuner. You have these. these the the user has instruments to adjust between things. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd imagine, honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, I'd be surprised like, if, I, if I was an insider at Federal versus an insider at Hornady versus an insider at Burger, I would probably see that they're actually basically the same company as far as quality control and accuracy. Yeah, like, like me and just mentioned, the biggest difference is going to be all of those companies have their own line of bullets. Yeah, those bullets are very different. Right. Of course, they want their ammo to shoot well, bullets. Well, no, well. Yeah, well, well, so I would say this. Uh, so let's look, at their, let's look at their ammunition in and of itself. How consistent and repeated, repeatable is their ammunition? Yeah, well, that goes how, how, quality I've control. never had, as far as six Creedmoor goes, I've never had a barrel that did not shoot the horny well by itself. A separate, question, a separate question is how does the consistency of their ammunition perform in your build? Better, horny, better so than federal. That's where people have differing opinions. Like a burger right. bullet, a burger cartridge, a horny versus a federal might perform better in my build different than your build but that's a separate question from what's the tolerance of uh, you know accuracy yeah sure. and quality yeah in How the companies is it for everyone because dude i'm telling well like i said i've got multiple barrels in the same caliber and a lot of them have different contours and some of them are the same i mean but i can tell a difference in, yep. in the ammo that shoot i mean totally. you shoot uh so and the reason I say this is so I, you know I do I do stuff for branded Rock Canyon with Mark D'Ambrosio out there, and uh, they have for their students they if you, you know, if you don't come with your own thing your own build you're going to get a six point five Creedmoor, right? Mm -hmm. And so they have a, a whole armory full of six point five Creedmoors for Mesa Precision, and. Of course, they we, we've chronographed all those things. We chronograph them every class. We chrono them with lab radar and ma and magneto speed and whatever else. So we're constantly repeating the data collection. Yeah, on every class on, on all these guns, and and they primarily shoot. Uh, normally, they order a Hornady ammo, but we have students show up with that. You know, they want federal gold. They want burger. They, you know, they have. They show up with their own stuff. 
And I will say, honestly, I don't see much of a difference in performance between ammunition selection. I just don't. The, the, and, and the I'm, ta I'm talking. I've got I've got a decent amount of uh, personal uh, observation of these these the same guns. Uh, so they're shooting that federal ammo and stuff out of the same guns out of the armory. Yep, they so brought the same guns. The it's okay. the same guns. They've got you know a dozen. The bottom guns. line, when it comes to is if you're shooting a six or a six five Creedmoor, you better not feel the the need to reload because fucking factory. Well, right now, right now, it's rough now. By availability, but as far as you're you're good to go if you if all is the same and you've got access to all the the uh, factory loaded ammunition, you don't need to reload. For well, so so I do want to say you know uh, clearly this I'm not. Uh, these are students being taught. This is different. This is way different environment than uh, sort of professional PRS competitors that are like. The, I mean, their standards of what they require are the equipment higher. To its, uh, they're going to utilize it to their greatest yeah. ability. I, I guess what I'm saying is maximize from their federal area. to Hornady to Burger. They're they, 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 they're all. As far as their muzzle velocity, spread, the they're, they're very, they're, they're all very accurate. It does differ, differ between gun, right? The specifics of that gun, but as far as the the standard deviation, uh, they're they're very similar. Mm -hmm. Like they're not like anyone that's saying federal's garbage, Hornady's garbage. Mm, the data doesn't. Show that, like these companies are all. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't show that. The, the, the companies are all top-notch companies, and they put a lot of money into making sure that their match, their 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 match stuff. Their you stuff. are lying. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's about to. Resume. But it might perform different in your gun. With, yeah, you know the the, the gun specific differences are super different. common. Yeah, very common. I, I just think that I think that the stuff is fascinating. I mean, obviously, we could go down a bazillion different rabbit holes when it comes to this stuff. There's so many different variables, and there's so many different ways to ice or try to isolate each of the variables, so that way you can come up with some sort of conclusive result. But you're absolutely right; it's heuristics. We're basing our decisions off of observed results from as controlled of control variables as possible in a yeah. given scenario right like i can only do so much yeah, without being absolutely. in a fucking lab yeah so i think what we do now i think that the that the way we've progressed there are there are definitely people that are that push the boundaries and push limitations like eric right that are like hey man so i'm gonna really focus on this niche of precision shooting it just so happens to be producing the highest quality ammunition figuring out like how all of that works and then how can we repeat it right i think it's i think that shit's fascinating especially the internal ballistics aspect of it the, the physics of the movement of the rifle in conjunction with the movement of the projectile i think it's all really fascinating and i'm constantly trying to learn more about it and i love talking to people like i love talking to shooters that have their experiences but then I also love talking to people like yourself like that have a scientific background yeah. because then you can then start to connect the dots of 
hey, I experienced this. Now I have this little bit deeper understanding of the scientific aspect of it. And then I can start to connect some dots. You know who can, who can take you down the deepest fucking rabbit holes about this shit? Anal. No. Oh, Crashly, dude, yeah. That motherfucker, I listened to him. Holy shit. Yeah. Like my head explodes when he gets talking about anal. We should, we should call him and, and yeah, he's invite a good him on the podcast. He's a real good dude. So, side note, can you say, what is it again? Horistic? Heuristic. Heuristic. Okay. I thought you said it was holistic. I was think uh, first thing that came to my mind was like an Asian immigrant saying holistic. Holistic. <laughs> that's the first thing that came to Holistic. Like some like some old Western <laughs> prostitute. Yes. Like some the study of, of old prostitutes. Yeah. Some wench in a saloon somewhere. <laughs> Holistic medicine. That's what I was, you know, first thing that came to mind, like the fucking South Park episode oh, with the fucking uh, um, City Wall Chinese restaurant. Oh, City Wall. That's right. Goddamn Hungarians. <laughs> that's what I thought of the funny first. I've never heard the word before. I've never heard of that before. So, <laughs> uh, ignorant ass. We're always going <laughs> to learn something when, we're always going to learn something when no one's around, man, for sure. Well, shit, man. That was good. That was, that was good. good. Hour, dude, an hour and 40 minutes, bro. That's an hour 40? Yeah. yeah. It's fucking jam. It's past your bedtime. It's past your bedtime. It is. I got past my bedtime. I got to kill everybody at that damn eval more. It's going to yeah. be fine. Yeah, <laughs> you got to destroy it, dude. No, you almost got a date. The only person that beat you today was Kalen. That's it. Now, Kalen's the only one that beat you today. That was a bonehead holding wrong side of the target when yeah. I knew it was a right hole. I held that for some reason. Just as steady and beautiful. Well, I mean, Kalen cleaned it. And as soon as I pulled the trigger, <laughs> I was like, fuck. But he also so, won seven kilos. So Kalen perfected it. The only way you could have beat him is to tell it faster. faster. You would have to learn fast because he cleaned it. First shot, every target. You would have had to have stunk faster. That's it. It's hard. <laughs> I think he's got his big balls. Look at his big balls over here. Kalen's big balls, dude. I think is what you said. Yeah, he had like 52 seconds left. I saw him going over. So here's the thing. I saw Kalen going to do it because he was by himself. I'm like, he's going to run the the stage. And I'm like, there has to be a witness. Someone has to see his performance, good or bad. Because if he sucks ass... I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to tell everyone. Snitch. Dude, and then it sounds like, oh. Well, I know why he's doing it. Because he wanted to know how he could do compared to, of course, the students. He has, to, he has to know. Same conditions. And I, and I was like, I he there needs to be a witness to this <laughs> that is going to be ruthless regardless of the results. And so I saw him running down there with his fucking rifle and shit. I'm like, oh. I run over. He had no idea. He didn't ask me to do anything. I just saw him. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go like watch. Get his ear, dude. And he didn't. He started to feel that wind. I don't even think you saw me for the first couple of shots. No, he didn't even know I was there. He's ding, 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 ding. Yeah, uh, it's been, a, it's been awesome. You know, guys. so so Kalen cleaned it. He cleaned every target. You know, first and second round hits. Whatever you know, a couple of targets into when you realized I was there, but at the end of it, I was unsatisfied because I was hoping I'd have some shit talking rights and watching him do some stuff. <laughs> and he knew that. And as soon as he cleaned it, he looked at me. He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> bitch. he nods that." He's like, 
give me a fist bump because I know you wanted me to miss and you didn't get to see it, dude. Yeah, I, yeah. Had, I had some tripod trouble today. I think one of the, I think Matt took it. He's gonna try to fix it, but my tripod broke on the oh, clock. The, you know, the I, came right out we, of the we say that it broke, right? So we say that it broke. That's a, I think that's truly a, uh, an engineering limitation with the design yeah. of that. Because those collars get bound up and really ride stuff tripods too. Yeah. It's just a design of it. So yeah. that's the second time it's happened. We, we Jeff, me and Jeff uh, fixed it. Mm -hmm. and it worked. I mean, it didn't work fine for the use that I typically use it for, for spotting mm -hmm. or maybe rear support or something like that. But I rarely ever. Because it's always a ninety-second part time yep. with five positions. I don't. I don't really dig with it. Yep. Um, in fact, a lot. I was telling Phil, a lot of match riders down here now are saying, "Oh yeah, you use a tripod," but they set the stage up because they know if you want to use a tripod, you're they're going to punish you for it. Everybody's tripods are collapsing. The, the movement. It's never a right to left movement where the right hand shooters would pull it and it would stay deployed out. It's a left to right movement, so you're constantly pushing it, and the fist is falling over. The legs are collapsing, and everything. So they're they're making shooters pay for it. Like hey, you want to use a tripod, okay? We have solutions for this. Well, NPA has a solution for it. It's got a fucking thing that goes goes to each leg, locks it out, and it can't collapse. You ever seen that? See, I got one. It's, we've been trying to use it like, hey, collapse your tripod. Well. It won't collapse anymore with this thing installed. It won't go in. Like, bullshit, take that fucking thing off. <laughs> Damn it. So, trying to tame it a little bit. But, yeah. It's just the tension of the leg screws. And if you the make them just tighter. At the top of the joints. Yeah, you just make them tighter and it won't collapse. Yeah. This motherfucker, you have to, like, do, you have to do, like, butter, reverse butterflies to get his tripod open. Yeah, those bitches are tight. For that reason, yeah, well, that's a good thing. I didn't know that. I mean, which I, like I said, I don't see, I learned shit. I'm well, fucking I'll learning say, shit. I, you know, here, here, so here's the thing. I'm, I'm you know, I, you know, I'm only being exposed to you guys this podcast. So I've known, I, I know, I've known Kalen for fucking twenty years, but I'm only exposed to the podcast format a couple times here. Phil is so quiet on things, but that son of a bitch is probably the best precision shooter I have fucking seen in my life personally like actually witnessed in my life dude this guy unbelievable you, like uh, it, you guys this podcast does not demonstrate this guy's talent man yeah well you speaking, like, speaking of that I'll listen to it you're being humble so you'll have like you're absolutely one. being humble dude but I'm dead serious yeah. uh, I don't pull punches like, like I don't I don't just throw you know, accolades to people. Uh, dude, you're fucking, I, I love watching this dude demo to students. I love watching demos because everything he does is procedural memory. It's all subconscious. He's done so much. The fluidity of every single movement of this dude He's not even, I, I can see that he's not thinking about it. It's completely subconscious. Hmm. The smallest things, the smallest details, and you can see it in his position when he's like, oh, or if he's teaching a class, like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do this, whatever. <laughs> but you see his body just lock into this rehearsed 
position well, is exactly so what solid. It, that's dude. wise because his it is position is so solid. I watch him get, and I, I paid attention every time for the last three weeks, well, one and a half, two weeks. Every time he's done this, I paid attention as best I could. It's the fucking same every time. Consistent. It's the exact same every time. It's the exact same every damn time. Yeah, and he's not thinking about it because he's talking to people. Like he's talking while he does it, right? <laughs> his brain's in another place. Yeah, his guess, body. Have a guess his, the body his body does the same damn thing every damn time. <laughs> he and that old, and I know why he does that. It's because he's rehearsed that thousands of mm-hmm. times. Thousands. You don't think about times. putting one foot. His the brain, other his conscious awareness thing. brain, like the thinking part of his brain, completely free. It's, that's not. It's not happening there. It's happening in the the same region of the brain that is responsible for walking. Right. But I would say, do they have a guest on a podcast? If he, like, if he opens the episode, I listen to. I was, oh, I guess Phil's not not aligned. Then thirty minutes into the damn podcast, Phil come up with a question like, "Whoa, Phil's there!" I didn't even know he was even on the bike. Well, that's the thing, dude. But when you see Phil run a gun, dude, like when you see Phil run a precision gun, I've shot a match. It's something Phil. else. It is a. It is another level. I appreciate that. Element. It is. I. I. Uh... I, I truly enjoy teaching the craft of being a rifleman. Like that is up my utmost passion. And, and I always say people that my passion is teaching. I just happen to teach my, my, my hobby. Right. And, um, I, I just come, it's like, what's ingrained in me? Like, like your wind call that you talk about, like something about going to a place and making an initial run wind call. And that's all that matters. Everything else is bullshit. For me, what matters is being able to put my money where my mouth is. Dude, like, yes. I will never, ever yeah, tell a, a student to do something that I'm not willing or capable of doing myself. And, and I'll, I will say this. The, the, the greatest positional master for most of my life was Kalen. Uh, the dude's a positional uh, extreme, right? Uh, until this week... Because this is the first time I met when I came out here. The first time I met Phil in person. We talked over the phone and on video, whatever. I saw Phil this week uh, for the first time, this week and a half. Dude. Sorry, Kalen. I'm no, sorry, dude. He's, he's Phil, Phil's whatever scale. He's one step. This dude's precisional precision. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I've never seen well, it in my life. Well, so to, to and to, and and his ability to explain it to someone else is uh, un, also unbelievable. To be fair, this 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 I attribute this again to the leadership of Kalen. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. what the again? There's a this, it's a three man team, and it, what it's the the funniest question that I always get is Phil, what do you actually do for a living? <laughs> Like seriously, like yeah. I gotta ask that again today. And I was like, "This, this is what I do." Yeah. And I was serious when I talked about when, when I introduced myself in my in my bio or like my like. You guys don't know who I am. I'm Phil Bleo, and I do this. And after Gunworks, now I sit in my basement and do podcasts. 
do online training and I come out once a month to do and snap in to do to do uh, to do classes. Um, but because of Kalen's leadership and understanding that, hey, hey Phil, we're gonna come up with a positional class and you're gonna take lead on it because I know that's what you love to do. Do it. And he gave me no left and right line of limits. He gave me the freedom of movement to, to run that course how I wanted to run it. And that allowed me to explore so many options. And I went down the rabbit hole. Um, and again, with, with what a leader does is it demand the highest of what you're capable of without asking it. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that is what I wanted to deliver to our team. And it allowed me to dig into the roots of dig deeper into positional, right? Like, again, I, I, I talked about it in both classes. This is the first time I'm delivering this class in an in-person format, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I typically just went off with our five considerations of positional shooting mm -hmm. and shit. So we talked about the evolution of techniques, the why behind each technique. Then we talked about the wobble zone. Then we talked about how we actually build the shooting position. Yeah, but the difference is, uh, yeah, the initial class you had a list of checklists. You know, there's a fucking million checklists. Everything's got a checklist, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 there's words. You know, there's numbers with words, right? Which a certain portion of your brain, you, you're engaging the linguistic portion of the brain, right? That's not shooting. Shooting isn't language and words, right? But then after you presented that, you guys went, and when you go to prac app, like which you when you're in person in the class, it's way more valuable because oh, yeah. the value comes in when these guys are watching you in your position and then they start talking about things like, how much pressure are you putting on the cheek, on this hand? You, you know, the, the, because shooting is all visual and somatic, right? It's, it's, it's this sense of pressure and touch and visual reaction to those things like how much pressure i'm putting here where's my body's position and then what is that doing to affect what i'm seeing in my sight picture and sight alignment it's two senses touch and proprioception and visual and these guys are masters at knowing that they don't even know you know a lot of the scientific language behind it but they they instinctually understand the shooting they're like what are you seeing versus what is your body doing how does your cheek feel and then they were doing it to me this week like both of you guys were coming to me because i'm a student i was a student here learning their techniques too and they're coming to me and they're like how much cheek pressure are you putting on how, you know where are you, where are your ankles and feet located right Where's your center of gravity over your feet? You know, all these subtle details, they, they have an eye for it. They have a, they have a very well-refined eye for it through experience, and they were using it to coach me this last week and a half. And I tell you this, today I went out in the standing off a tripod and was repeatedly <laughs> dinging a target at a thousand yards in the standing. 6.5 Creedmore off a student's gun. A student's gun. I've never shot this gun before in my life. Jumped on there. Repeated Ipsic hits at a thousand yards over and over and over. So in, in five mile an hour winds. All because for the last week and a half, 
these guys have refined my positional uh, fundamentals uh, in a way that I've never heard before, but was I, I found out here. And dude, I'm a believer. So I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm a believer, man. You have to give yourself very... I'm going to give you credit now because with a very decorated background and career, I would say more decorated than mine, that you won't talk about. That we won't talk about. <laughs> but you were an instructor at one point yeah. uh, in, in, in many different um, categories of being a sniper. Um, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, right? But your willingness to come to not only help us out, but then be a student at the same time speaks volumes of your character. And, and that is why I love doing what I do. And it reminds me that you're always a student of the craft. Dude. No matter uh, where you think you're wrong on your journey. You know, what's cra- you know what's crazy about what he just said? Listen, this is the weird position I'm in. So 20 years ago, I'm Kalen's pig, right? He's my instructor. Uh, look, uh, it's I look up to Kalen, and I've done so from the beginning, from the first time I saw him. It, because of the role, I mean, clearly, and he has kept that. Uh, he's always pursued higher. The, uh, it's easy to know why I look up to Caitlin, right? You came into the separate community after me. Like, like, like I, you were a pig at sniper school after I left being an instructor, yeah. right? If had you come in while I was an instructor, I'd have been like, I'm the hog, you're the pig, right? And that whole psychological dynamic would have happened. And I probably would have established myself as superior psychologically over cultural, sociological (laughs) conditions. But luckily, thank God, you weren't one of my students. I never saw you as a pig. The first time I saw you was at your prime, dude. Like, uh, the first time I heard about you was as an instructor. So you're like, my immediate uh, exposure to you was... Another marksmanship instructor. He's teaching. You're my peer, man. I I did that. Caitlin did that. You're doing it now. So it really is a psychological thing internally, uh, which I'm glad happened. So when I came out here, I'm like, oh, Vallejo, he's marketing instructor, dude. And he's a PRS comp competitor, like a proficient one. Dude, so when I came out here, my expectations were to learn. And dude, you delivered, man. Like you do, you freaking delivered in every way. I haven't learned this much about positional shooting, and in, in a decade. Like you truly evolved it, dude. And, and and you're humble about it. I know, like you're super humble about it. Like you don't want to, yeah, whatever. Uh, fine, be humble. Great, but I know where I learned it. I learned it from Phil Vallejo and Kalen Wojcik. And Kalen keeps telling me, you know, he learned a lot of his stuff from you. Uh, and why? Because you're out there in competition, which is super humiliating. Because in competition, you fail a lot. And people beat you all the time. So, like, your ego, when you're at an active competitor your ego gets constant checks. Like you're being put in check a lot, but at the same time you learn a lot. 
and when you put yourself in that dangerous environment psychologically, it's a dangerous environment. It takes bravery to just do that mm-hmm. consistently and get beat all the time to lose in your mind. You're losing. You're not first place. You're losing all the time. That's bravery, dude. That's a good point. That's all. It's bravery, dude. And there's a lot of people, by the way, in this precision shooting world, and I'm not going to name names on on air, right? But those, myself and these other guys here, we know some dudes in the world of sniping or whatever that wouldn't dare ever expose themselves to the mass culture. Why? Because they're terrified of the judgment. Yep. They're terrified of the reputation destruction. Phil Vallejo puts himself, every time he goes to a PRS competition, or uh, he's putting himself at risk of reputation destruction. Why is he doing it? Because he learns from it. He gets better, and he knows he gets better. Just being there, seeing other people that beat him, and studying him, talking to him, and refining his craft. And so uh, Phil Vallejo, by being such an active competitor, destroys his own reputation all the time to make himself better. Through destruction of his own ego, he has become a dude that when I came here, I'm like, my goodness, this is the most amazing instruction I've ever received. And they were looking at it like that. But it's, but it's really through his, his own... Con- at, the, at, the, at the expense of my... You're right. At the expense, at the expense of, of your reputation. We had a lot of conversation about this. But yeah. It's great. And it's which, great. Which, which, why, which is why, because he's such a humble guy, he, he doesn't talk as much on the podcast. All <laughs> <laughs> right? I feel like I contribute a lot. You do, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm telling you, the listeners, for, for the because there are listeners here who have, who have no exposure to you other than hearing you. Yeah. They've never seen you shoot. They've never seen you on the range, dude. And, and, and I was one of those people. I had never actually met you in person and watched you do your thing. And I have for now, for a couple weeks. And I'm telling every listener... <laughs> If if you if all your only exposure to Phil Vallejo is listening to him talk, you don't know anything about this dude. This dude runs a gun that makes me want to cry, <laughs> dude. I'm serious. Would you? I mean, Kalen, am I like? Am I exaggerating? He's like, very consistent. He's very consistent. Dude, he's solid, dude. And that's and, and you're a solid, dude. Like they like said, you cleaned that course today, like no one's business. <laughs> But dude, Phil is a—he's—he's he's a step above. He is. You know, he check, your ego, is. <laughs> check your ego, Kalen. Check your ego, Kalen. Yeah. Totally. I know. I'm. I. Dude, he's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's another level up, dude. I get it. I it, totally it, get it. I, I just—I think—I think the only difference between Kalen and I, realistically, the way I look at it, is that I learned to accept the game a lot earlier than he did. Totally. Absolutely. Be, be, because. Of again the 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 community in which allowed me to in terms of my mentors in the shooting community on the civilians 
Does that make sense? No, and, no. And, and, and it's taken me that. a lot longer, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, and I know Kalen looks up to me mentors, like, for, from a competitive standpoint. Um, but I only got that because of the people that I look up to civilian-wise in the competitive sure. shooting sport. It was just, it was different. It was a different dynamic. Di- di- in different time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, different archetypes. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you this. Kate, well, and, and there's a certain archetype the, the the war archetype, the sniper war archetype. No one beats Kalen, dude. <laughs> no one beats no one beats my mentor, Kalen, dude. That's why we make. That's why we make. That's why it's him and I and and you and all the people that have been contributing to the Modern Day Cyber Podcast. That that's who makes a Modern Day Cyber. Yeah, sure. Not it's yeah. not just the shooting aspect, right? But it's a it's a holistic it's, approach. It's continuing it, to bring in it's and mixing the archetypes and, dude, and, like and holistic, holistic, and bringing you on has really solidified that modern day sniper's trajectory is to be more than just about shooting. And I and I'm excited for what we have in store for the future. The future, dude. The we're future. just we're just, just starting. Like I'm in, I'm in the mix now, dude. I'm in the mix. Well, it's just gonna be crazy. We got one more crazy. We got one more day. We're going to wrap this class up and we're going to come up with a plan to get you set up and get you back in the mix. Yes. Yep. That's it. David, thanks for coming out and eating some, some chili. Some dank ass chili. Thanks for dank ass chili. D cups. Thanks for coming out. And, uh, and, 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 and really honestly, after this, maybe when Kayla and I get back, I really want an honest assessment about even we'll, we'll even do it online. We'll do it. We'll do it on. Yeah. Uh, of your, you know, uh, good, bad uh, about the course because really the advanced courses for people like we aim to, to 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 for people like you to really test certain things that you probably wouldn't have never thought of testing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in this class that have noticed that probably shouldn't be here, right? That like should have just really stayed at the basic level, mm-hmm. right? But True. really guys like you and Mike Dotson, it's like how, how do we really test you to push you to your next limit of yep. being a capable you better as you precision rifleman, right? Oh yeah. Um, so even if it's ugly, I want to hear about it. I want to hear sure. what your thoughts are. Um, and I think that's a podcast for itself. So you got uh, it. I appreciate you coming out. Appreciate you having me. Man, this is another good one. No, we, what, two hours and five, five minutes? minutes? I mean, this is just impromptu. So we got to pack up all of our shit, boys. Yeah. We got to pack up all of our shit. We're room. moving out tomorrow, last day of class, and then we fly home and we're back on the road in like two weeks to, to Texas and shit. So okay. it's going to be a good one. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for tuning in to us for another episode. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to giving you guys as much information as we possibly can in the shortest amount of time possible so that you guys can have a better experience when you go to the range. So until next time, guys. He has a little drill. Keep your face in the gun. <laughs>